This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, I'm Dr. Margaret, and thanks for being a part of Self Work today. We're going to be talking about change. I always heard in my lifetime, the only thing in life you can count on is change. And of course, I thought my father had created that saying, but he didn't. There are plenty of people in history who credit themselves with having come up with that truth. But I heard my dad saying it a lot. So in my own mind, he was the originator of the phrase. But we all know that change is inevitable. And so how do you handle change that you choose? And how do you cope with change that you don't. That's what we're going to be focusing on today. I'm going to give you five ways that people avoid the reality of change. And this can get kind of complicated and crazy, really. And then the number one way to cope with unwanted change. There's one thing that I see my patients do day after day where they don't identify themselves with the unwanted change. And we'll talk more about that. What skills do you need to use to cope with unwanted change or even change that you might choose. And then lastly, as always on self-work, I'm going to read you an email from a listener. This one asks a question on treatment for multiple diagnoses, because what helps with one diagnosis may not help with another. So I'll answer her question. Today we're talking about change. There are some people that are seekers of change that really have lots of curiosity and seek stimulation. They're not afraid of change at all. In fact, sometimes they can act somewhat impulsively and go toward too much at one time. But there are other people who really struggle with change, even change that they choose. I remember a woman who came into my practice, and she was in her 40s. She talked about having a great marriage, a couple of kids that were doing well. She worked part-time. Her parents were alive and well. And as I listened to her story about 25 minutes into it, I said, well, I understand that you're here for help, but I'm not sure what help you need. I don't really hear many problems. And her eyes filled with tears. And she said, that's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of change. Everything is good now. I don't want anything to change, and I don't even know if I have the skills to handle loss or change. And therein lay her anxiety and her worry. So let's first talk about change that you choose. This is change like vacations, promotions, even falling in love or engagement. All of these things are things that we go toward that are welcome in our lives. But even positive change or happy change involves unfamiliarity, handling life from a slightly different angle. We know how we're handling what is familiar. We've got it. We've got the stressors that are involved in that. We're handling it. But there's something called the novelty effect, which is a fancy way of saying that your stress goes down as the novelty of something wears off. So even positive changes, like the ones I mentioned above, have a novelty effect associated with them. When you're first experiencing them or choosing them, there'll be some stress and excitement and arousal that is associated with that. One thing I've heard about and have read about is Sunday 
blues. And what I mean by that is that as we live out the hours of Sunday, as the day goes on more and more, people begin anticipating the change that either going back to work or getting into the school week will cause, and it causes stress. It causes anxiety or even depression. Now, obviously, we're choosing to go on to Monday. No one wants their life to end, but we have to handle this sense of change. We're going from a state of relaxation back to work, back to school. One of the things, for example, that I suggest that people do who have this kind of Sunday anxiety or Sunday dread of change is that they build something into Sundays that's really something they enjoy, like watching a movie or planning a meal that they really love to eat, something that will give them a sense of, you know, Sunday's a pretty good day. It also obviously involves living in the present, but that has more to do with worry and anxiety. But what about change that you don't choose? We all fear this. We live in a state of being where we believe that we know pretty well what's going to happen in the next minute, the next hour, that day. It's what in some ways keeps us sane. If we didn't feel like we knew what was going to happen, we'd be in a constant state of hypervigilance or arousal. In my physical setup at my office, for example, I hear people coming into the waiting room. I know that someone is there, but I have no idea who it is. I'm assuming it's my next appointment. If I thought, oh my gosh, is that someone out there waiting to hurt me? I wouldn't have a sense of safety. We all predict that we know what's going to happen. And of course, sometimes life hands us something where that's not the case. Some researchers named Holmes and Ray, and that's R-A-H-E if you want to look it up, they did a study on how change affects actual illness or the prediction of illness, and they found a high correlation. So that kind of stress can definitely lead to mental problems as well as physical ones. Here's a list of the 10 most stressful life events for adults. Death of a spouse, huge. Divorce, marital separation, imprisonment, death of a close family member, personal injury or illness, Number seven is marriage. So (laughs) it has about half the clout of a death of a spouse as far as illness is concerned. Interesting. Dismissal from work, marital reconciliation, and retirement. Again, two things we would think of as positive stressors, but they do have an impact on us. Now, for non-adults, it was somewhat different. Death of a parent is, again, number one. Unplanned pregnancy or abortion, getting married, divorce of parents, Acquiring a visible deformity, fathering a child. Number seven is jail sentence of a parent for over one year, marital separation of parents, death of a sibling. And number 10, interesting, of course, for kids, change in acceptance by peers. So this is an interesting list and something a lot of times I go over with with my patients of how many things have actually occurred in their life in the last year or two that may have caused them either positive or negative stress. Stress is stress. But if there are too many especially unpredictable or sad things that have happened, you can get a real sense of helplessness. For example, getting laid off, moving from one part of the country to another, being involved in an accident, some of those things on the list. I would add a diagnosis of mental illness, either for you or for someone you love. Your life can be transformed in an instant. 
where you've taken things for granted. Even if you predict that a loss is going to happen, actually handling that is very different. I was talking with someone just yesterday about their aging parent and watching them develop dementia and how difficult that is. It's one thing to even visualize what it might be like. It can be another to live it. I remember well when my son left. I have the one son. He went to college back in 2012, and I was very busy. I realized that it would be difficult for me to handle it. We were very close, still are, but I thought I'd be fine, right? Well, I found myself out in his car that he'd left here sobbing and screaming out a little bit, I've changed my mind. You've got to come back. I felt a little silly, obviously, and so I went to a movie or something and decided I needed to pull myself together, which I did. But the actual handling or coping with Empty Nest was very different than my prediction of it. But before we get to the skill that I see people all the time use in order to handle unwanted change especially, I want to talk a little bit about what people do to avoid the reality of change in their life. First and foremost, there's good old basic denial. You can just flatly believe that the change won't occur. A very poignant example of this is when your partner, your spouse, has told you more than once how unhappy they are in your marriage, and you deny to yourself that she or he would leave. Ah, she'll never really do anything. And when she files for divorce, you're floored. I see this happen all the time, that people don't want to believe something will happen, and they completely deny the possibility that it can. Another tried-and-true method, avoidance. You can avoid any facts that might suggest that your reality is not rational. This typically entails putting off that the change is coming or pretending, for example, maybe that it won't be necessary to move or you just forget to make that cardiology appointment when you know you have tightness in your chest. You just don't get around to making those decisions. And what happens, of course, is things can get much worse. Closely aligned with number two is the strategy of using irrational beliefs. For example, if I exercise enough, I'll never have arthritis problems like my mom did. Or, if I don't talk about having thoughts of driving off the road, they'll go away. Those thoughts are not rational. But we can tell ourselves and try to convince ourselves that what we're doing, what we're thinking, what we're feeling will keep us safe. And that's true to a certain extent. But when you have irrational beliefs, you carry it way too far. The fourth is living in the past. I'm sure we all know people who do this. For example, they dress far too immaturely for their age, or they continue behavior that might have been great when they were in college, but it doesn't fit adulthood. Not moving on and not accepting change is their strategy to fend off the reality that it's occurring. You know, mothers or dads who are buddies with their kids, people who still go out and party a lot, even though they've got young children at home, they're avoiding the present by living in the past. That may have a lot to do actually with, you know, trouble with aging, but actually I've seen it in other cases as well. The fifth one is worry. Many, many people believe that if they worry about things enough, 
They can prevent bad things from happening. They can prevent unwanted change. Now, it goes way beyond thinking ahead, realizing potential problems, and creating solutions. They believe that their worry is an actual barrier to unwanted change. If they don't worry, it will happen. It's the opposite of, if you build it, they will come, which is very optimistic. Their belief is, if I worry about it, I can prevent it. It has a cute little phrase called the work of worrying. Now, any kind of change can involve your identity being altered, and when it's change you don't choose, of course, that's very difficult. You were a hands-on mom, and now you're alone in your home. One minute, you're the guy everyone can count on at work, and the next, you find out that you have cancer, and people are looking at you differently. Your marriage that you thought would last forever falls and shambles around you. And yet, the people who I watch handle sorrow and even tragedy, unwanted change, and they do it successfully, are people who fight to not let that change define them. I remember a couple that were looking very much forward to the birth of their first child, but the ultrasound at eight months showed no heartbeat. Another test confirmed it. The baby had died. So the woman had to actually go into labor but there was no cry of life at the end. When I met them six weeks later, they had all kinds of feelings, rage, confusion, grief, numbness. I watched both of them in very different ways try to hang on to who they knew themselves to be, how they wanted to try to live, and what their values had always been, rather than letting the change, the loss, the grief define who they were. It was difficult. I remember especially the young man. Both of them were very religious, but he got extremely angry with God and said, I don't know if I can continue to believe. That wasn't his wife's struggle at all, but it definitely was his. I guess to sum it up, healthy people fight to not be victims. That's the difference. They actually refuse to be victims. And I'm sure you also know people who have let loss or unwanted change completely ruin their lives, or they blame it on a divorce. They blame it on a lousy job. They blame it on their no-good parents. Blame keeps you stuck and keeps you a victim. So what are the skills that are necessary for that refusal to be a victim to work? How do you find your courage? First and foremost, I think, you have to grieve. And there's some people who, again, using denial, avoidance, irrational beliefs, the things we talked about a few minutes ago, they don't want to grieve. And yet, when you do, when you allow yourself to connect with that pain, you can begin to work through it. If you don't, if you avoid it, if you drink or you try to escape or whatever you try to do, your grief will be waiting for you. The second thing you do is adapt. I didn't pay much attention in biology, but I do remember the adaptation of the species, and certainly the species that adapted to change, environmental change or whatever, were the ones that survived, and we're the same way. Our emotional survival depends on us adapting to what is new and looking for what you have control over. That helps with depression, that helps with anxiety, 
But that adaptation requires you to say, I don't have control over whether this change happened or is going to happen, but I can look for what I do have control over and focus on that. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm kind of a storyteller. My patients know this. I was very lucky to have a woman named Ethel. We called her Et in my life. She was actually my grandmother's third cousin. She was 84 when I met her, and I was 24, and she didn't die till she was 104. I actually have lots of stories about Et, but the one today that applies is this. I watched her in the last 10 or 12 years of her life move from a sunny, lovely apartment to an assisted living, to a nursing home, and finally, more of a hospital setting. And one of the things she used to do in the apartment that she loved, she had a sunroom, and she would sit out there and watch the clouds go by. She just adored that. And then in the assisted living place, she still had a window. It was smaller, but it was fairly large. And she said, you know, I still love to look at the clouds. By the time she'd reached the smaller facilities, she had a very tiny window. And I, in my really stupidity, (laughs) said to her, well, I'm sorry that you only have this one window, Ed. And she said to me, Margaret, they are still the same clouds. She had lived her entire life like that, focusing not on the size of the window, but on the clouds. And that's what I'm talking about in handling unwanted change. So in summary, there's change that you want and change that you don't or that you don't think you do. Sometimes that change turns out to be something that you do want or that you can welcome and embrace, but perhaps you don't know it at first. All change is stressful and you can try to avoid, deny, irrationally believe, worry, or live in the past, but none of that is going to prevent change. And the key to accepting change and moving with it, adapting to it, is don't allow that change to victimize you. Don't let it paralyze you. And what Et would tell you is simply search for the clouds. Okay, today we have an email question from a 24-year-old female who asks... I'm diagnosed with major depression, generalized anxiety disorder, and post-traumatic stress disorder. I've been in therapy for several years and been on and off meds. They help me a lot with my depression, but the problem is now I still have increased anxiety, panic attacks, irritation, and sudden crying spells. I'm also having vivid dreams and nightmares, and I get confused if they really happen throughout the day. I'm having a lot of problems with my relationship due to the roller coaster emotions, He seems to not understand and get irritated by it, even if I try to explain what is going on in my head. I'm pretty aware of what I'm feeling and what it's causing, but it's too overwhelming for him and even myself. I don't know if I need to change medication, up the dose, go to more cognitive behavioral therapy classes, talk more often with a therapist, do things to help myself, or have I been misdiagnosed? It's something that just keeps spinning in my head. So you can see she has some multiple problems going on mentally and emotionally. And this happens all the time. It's rare that you meet someone 
who simply has depression or simply has anxiety. In fact, I've never met anybody with severe anxiety that isn't depressed about it. So frequently, therapists, counselors, doctors, psychiatrists are treating more than one condition at once. Here's my answer. Hello, it could be you're misdiagnosed for sure. If there's a cycle of moods going on, you could have bipolar 2 disorder, which often looks like a mixture of depression and anxiety. Vivid dreams can be caused by medications, but if there are nightmares and they are connected with your trauma or your anxiety is linked with triggers that have to do with trauma, it sounds as if whatever trauma you've experienced remains unhealed. I might look for a therapist who specializes in the treatment of trauma, perhaps one that does EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. EMDR has been shown to be extremely effective with post-traumatic stress disorder. As far as a new therapist is concerned, a fresh pair of eyes and ears could be helpful. Remember that medication is only one tool that you can use to help yourself. And about your relationship, it's hard for people in relationship with you to understand. What it takes is education for them so they know as best they can what you're going through and a realization on your part of how difficult it is to love someone through depression and anxiety. I do have an episode on that. I think it's episode seven or eight. It's easy to feel helpless to do anything, and it's hard not to take it personally. I'm glad you're being your own advocate. Sometimes it takes looking even harder to find the answers. And again, I think probably a fresh pair of eyes and ears would be helpful to your treatment. Thanks for writing. I think it's important to point out, and the reason why I picked this particular email is because you do have to look at medication as both a help and sometimes it can be the cause of a problem. Side effects can be troublesome, but medication is not the only answer. You've got to work on yourself in therapy. You've got to get the help that you need, especially with PTSD. I really appreciate this young woman writing in and wish her well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Self Work. You can reach me in a lot of different ways, which I hope that you'll do. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com and I blog there weekly. You can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I do read all my emails. I'm the only one who sees them and I'll answer you. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Margaret. And if you look for me, you can find me on all the other social media. I'm on Pinterest. I'm on Instagram. I love to cook, and I put some of my creations on Instagram like I'm a big chef or something, and I'm not, but I come home and cook for my own therapy. I'd really appreciate it if you tell your friends about self-work. In a month or so, I will be incorporating interviews into the format, and I'm really looking forward to that. There was a bit of a learning curve there, so I'm going to practice a bit before I actually ask someone to be my first interviewee, but I'm looking forward to that and will let you know who I'm going to be interviewing. Thank you to those who've left me a rating or a review. That's especially helpful in iTunes to get the attention of other potential listeners. And of course, I hope you subscribe. My choice is to do these podcasts on fairly diverse topics. So if one is not particularly your cup of tea or, as they say, doesn't float your boat, Hopefully the next one will. And again, you can always write me and let me know 
what you would like for me to talk about. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.